Welcome to episode number 67 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast we're helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies that you need to build an online business around your research experience, around your expertise, and around the change you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, I'm very excited to be talking about how to avoid death by PowerPoint in your webinar and in-person presentations. We have a very special guest on to do that, Dr. Echo Rivera from echorivera.com. That's E-C-H-O-R-I-V-E-R-A.com. Echo, thank you for coming on the Grab Blogger podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Chris. Thank you. So Echo has a PhD in community psychology. She has over 14 years experience in research and evaluation in this field. And more importantly for this episode, she has over a decade helping academics, evaluators, and scientists learn techniques for planning and designing and delivering effective presentations. Just a little personal note, a personal story to kind of get into this interview. I actually found Echo, I think, back in 2016 or 2017, when I was sort of getting started online, came across her website and was very impressed with the visual branding elements that her site had. Oh, <laughs> thank you. He had, he had like these little, I can't even remember, it was like something like the border elements you had, then fed through every page and then fed through like the products and it was just all so cohesive, pleasant, <laughs> and refreshing to see that you you talked me into buying one of your products. So I bought a slide oh. deck. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I remember that. <laughs> I was super stoked. I use that for um, my uh, committee meetings. I have a committee meeting like every month or every two months during the towards the end of my, my PhD degree. And uh, I did it on an Echo Rivera design slide deck. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So in this episode, we're talking about this death by PowerPoint, how to effectively design and, and plan out your presentations. We're going to go through Echo's business journey, what she does at EchoRivera.com, uh, what is this death by PowerPoint and how to prevent it. Uh, we're going to talk through her slide-based communication framework as well, which I found really helpful. So Echo, maybe a, a good spot to jump in is, can you just kind of take us back in your journey? How did you get started in the, the online space? Yeah, happy to talk about my journey. So I started back in 2016, and it was a side hustle that I was doing. At the time, I was working full-time as an evaluator at a nonprofit research center. And, you know, I just... My passion has been with helping academics and researchers and evaluators communicate their work in more creative and visual ways. And I just really wanted to, you know, start helping people with that. So during my weekends and my evenings, <laughs> I just started blogging. I just started writing different blog posts and drawing some comics for the blog posts and creating resources and just whatever I can think of to help academics and researchers create better presentations. So that's that's the very beginning. And it just kind of exploded very fast. And within six months, still as a side hustle, I launched my first online course called Blast Off to Stellar Slides. So that's kind of the beginning. That's the nutshell. I'm happy to say more about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the that's the start. Yeah, I want to jump through some of that actually. Um, but maybe, you know, to give the kind of full scope, that was back in 2016. Just where, where's your business at today in terms of what you do for, for academics and helping people with presentations and, and effective communication? 
Yeah. So, so I did the side hustle route for about, I would say one and a half years and it was just going really well. I I was just really loving it. So I quit my job (laughs) and I did that two years ago. So I've been, you know, doing my business full time for about two years. My partner joined me and he helps out. So we are, we are now a company of two, (laughs) not very big. But now we have two more courses. So I have three online courses. Another one is on the way. I've expanded my services. So I do professional development training through webinars and in-person workshops whenever those happen again. (laughs) And we also do design work for people. So we will create infographics, comics, data visualizations. Uh, We do report design things like that. Basically, if it falls under the umbrella of creative research communications, we will do it either through having an online course you can take, through coaching calls, through actual trainings, or we'll just do it for you. I love it. So you have the three courses on services side, you training, in-person workshops, and you also do sort of design work, data visualization, Thing, the stuff that um, folks like myself that aren't as creative <laughs> really struggle <laughs> with to put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, let's let's kind of dig into some of your business journey because I think that'll be interesting for the audience. I would say that we, I think, probably met in late 2016 as part of maybe the self-employed PhD group. Were we, were we doing calls back then? I think we were, right? I don't remember. <laughs> That's so embarrassed to admit, but I just feel like it's been s- such a blur and so fast. I, I actually, I don't remember. Huh. I kind of remember this blast off the sell- Stellar Slides and planning, sort of in the phase of planning out and selling that course. And yeah, I'm excited to see that you're full-time now after a couple of years doing it. Excited to see your partners on board. We've had a couple of folks on recently in the podcast that were around that time. We had uh, Dr. Katie Linder on uh, back in episode 64. We had Caitlin Foss back in 56 and Heidi Gesto, Sarah Langworthy, all with PhDs at the end of her names, but it gets a, gets a little long if you put doctor in front of everyone. But yeah, it was a really cool time to see everyone growing and developing their businesses from whatever avenue they're taking, side hustles to to quitting their job to going going all in and not doing it as a side hustle, just going as full-time like like I did back in the day. It was a really exciting time. So what, what kind of challenges came up for you in that transition sort of through from your side hustle to, to going full time to where you're at today? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Challenges for the transition. I would say the biggest one was, you know, anxiety over income and stability, you know, going from a regular paycheck to going to self-employed. That anxiety was it was a big challenge. And it isn't necessarily something I've gotten completely over even a couple of years later, but it's something I can I can live with now. And I just sort of acknowledge it, that that's just sort of the way it goes when you're self-employed. And you know, as a lot of people are finding out, even when you have a paycheck, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have another one or you know, things are going to be stable. So a lot of things are unstable anyway, but <laughs> at least I'm happy with what I'm doing. And I absolutely love what I'm doing every single day. So, you know, it, it all kind of worked out in the end. But I would say that's the biggest struggle I had with the transition from 
full-time employed to full-time self-employed. Yeah, and I was going to say, are there any, you know, you mentioned there is this anxiety and, and now we know that having a, you know, full-time position isn't actually as stable as it may have once seemed. Yeah. Um, are there some benefits of kind yeah. of going, you know, out on your own and, and working through this? Oh, tons of benefits. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> Grocery shopping on Tuesdays. Right, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this exactly. That is exactly one. And I live in Denver and yeah, it's very crowded on the weekend, especially for nature activities, going for hikes and things like that. So being able to go for a bike ride or go for a walk, you know, yeah, Tuesday at 11 a.m. when not as many people are there, that's been amazing. And the best part is I am in full control over what I do and what I don't do. So that was a hard part of working at a research center was, you know, this expectation, this requirement of working on projects that didn't necessarily fit my values or, you know, just, just didn't interest me. <laughs> but now I basically only work on what matches my values, what actually interests me. And I just have so much control over the projects I take on, my schedule, you know, all kinds of things. So that's that it that makes it worth it to have any anxiety about <laughs> about, you know, income streams and that kind of thing. Like it it just makes it all worth it for me. Yeah, I love it. And I I like sharing that part because there is there are a lot of benefits. I mean I've I've today is actually the day we're recording is the First day my son has gone to daycare in uh, three oh. and a half months. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so he's been home with me a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that wouldn't even have been possible if I was working my my previous job or the type of employment roles that I, I would have been doing. So to get to spend that time with him has been really amazing. And to have the team running, you know, every, we have we've actually ramped up hours across the board um, for everyone on our team. It's it's created a stable employment or stable income for myself, but also it's able to create stability for my team members and other other folks as well, which is kind of an interesting byproduct. So I want to roll back. You mentioned something like when you were getting started on this content side. So you said you were creating content, you were doing, I remember these comics you were doing. You know, it was kind of, they were kind of cool. The blog posts. I, I can picture there's a listener that's kind of thinking on this and they're, they've just started a website or a blog. Maybe it's even their own name. And they, they're just like, well, what do I put on there? Do you have any tips or you know, what went through your head for creating material that was helpful for people and, and, and sharing that? Yeah. So lucky, I was sort of lucky because by the time I decided to create a website and create a blog, I had already done some training on this, you know, just at conferences, I would do either a conference presentation or, you know, a workshop at a conference presentation. So, and I had just helped people within my network, help, help them create better presentations or, I would also just watch other people's presentations and sort of critique them <laughs> as I was sitting there, you know, silently in my head. And so based on all that experience, I kind of knew the biggest struggles people had and the biggest myths that people believed about how to create better presentations in an academic context. So I started there, you know, so I would say myth busting is the easiest place to start, especially if you know some of those common patterns that you've seen across settings, across, you know, across people, then start there and once you have a few blog posts in and you start to see people's reactions, they're going to ask you more questions. And then when you start to notice a pattern with those questions, it will inspire more blog posts and more things to write. 
Yeah, I love that way of going about it because it's better than just continually putting stuff out there and, and not really relaying it to your your audience. I call it customer insights. So if you have some insight about your audience, then write about the myths they believe in, write about the problems that they identify with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know we've, as academics, we've all seen a, a ton of bad presentations. So I'm sure you have <laughs> a, a very effective arsenal of, of things to write about. <laughs> It was it was pretty easy, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, I love the myth busting side of it too. I mean, that's an interesting one because everyone loves a myth. I mean, you, you just look no further than the myth busters to mm-hmm. see how popular that can be. Um, so if you put myth at the top of your blog post, you're probably going to increase your viewership by at least 15%. <laughs> probably, yeah. It definitely worked for me and I still do it. I still I still talk about myths all the time. It's, it's an excellent starting point. And sometimes you have to start there because... People believe these myths and, you know, you you can't get them to create better presentations until they stop believing those myths. So in a way for me, it was like, I didn't really have too many options anyway, because it was like, we had to talk about this first anyway, so that they could be ready to learn about effective presentation uh, strategies. No, it makes total sense to me. In my sort of pre-show research, uh, it's just kind of cruising through your, your website at echorovere.com. Um, and you had at the top uh, navigation bar, the Center for Stellar Slides. Um, again, you should you should check out uh, Echo's website. The branding is very good. And even the... I, I don't know how somebody could go through his website and not want to click on the Center for Stellar Slides with the rockets beside it. Um, so I was obviously I obviously clicked it and I obviously signed up and got taken through some of the training that's here. And it's really good. I mean, the videos are good. The, the, you get to see some of the comics. Can you just walk us through what is that that area of your website? And, you know, what could people expect to see there? Yeah. So, you know, another challenge I've had with, you know, running my company, Creative Research Communications, is we do more than presentations. We do infographics, comics, data visualizations, and that kind of thing. But presentation, that is the main thing that I do. So I created sort of the sister website, Center for Stellar Slides, so people could go to just all the presentation online courses that I have. And everything is part of a series. And I just want to make it clear to people that no matter which program you take from me, you will create Stellar Slides. So it's all part of the Stellar Slides idea, this Stellar Slides um, continuum. So that's kind of why I made it sort of a separate site. And it explains that and it explains sort of the progression to go through. So I have a free course. Start there. See if you like my training style. Do you do you like what I have to say? Do you like the presentations you're seeing me deliver to you? You know, that's sort of step one. And then step two is then you can take one of the formal professional development training courses. And you have two options. There's sort of the short, quick start course that's Captivate with Stellar Slides. And then there's the full comprehensive program, which is Blast Off to Stellar Slides. That's the first course that I made. So, you know, 
because it is the same name <laughs> for all of them, it, some people are sort of like, wait, what's the difference? And, and that kind of thing. So that's why there's sort of this, this website and it explains that. It ex- sort of explains how they all work together, what the differences are, you know, the order I recommend you go in um, and that kind of thing. So in relation to this, the topic that we have outlined today, and I guess the, the point of doing a, a topic on presentations in general is that with everything that's going on in the world today, things are shut down. There's more virtual meetings. Um, I get more virtual summit emails in a week than I can probably count on both hands. Everyone online is doing virtual. I, I, I've commented in, in a, you know, over the last couple of episodes, whether or not I think getting into that space is the right thing to do right now. And, and for some audiences, it totally is. Other audiences might be getting tired of it, but video and presentations and that are here to stay. They're a, you know, a really important mode of communication. So I want you to just walk us through, you know, what is, how do you present and communicate effectively in this medium? And I want to touch on your point of this, this death by PowerPoint thing. I, I know you've said that probably, probably since we first started talking to 2016, but can you put some definition around this? What is death by PowerPoint? Um, and, you know, then we'll kind of go into, well, how, okay, how do we actually avoid that if, uh, if that's what we want to do? Yes. Okay. Love to talk about death by PowerPoint. (laughs) So death by PowerPoint is the standard ways of presenting that we all hate, yet we just can't seem to escape it. It just feels like it's everywhere. It's, It's the text heavy slides. It's the slides that are just read to the audience. It's the slides where the main visual or the only visual is just the template design. It's presentations where it's just fact after fact after fact with no narrative, no metaphors, no analogies, no audience engagement, you know, nothing interesting to help us understand and contextualize those facts. It's basically presentations that are boring, overwhelming, and confusing. And this matters because death by PowerPoint presentations decrease the likelihood that your audience is going to pay attention to you, understand what you say, remember what you say, and use your information. So we all kind of joke about it. If you search the hashtag death by PowerPoint on Twitter, right? It's like a common joke and I laugh about it too, but it has very negative consequences for people understanding and using our information. So we actually do need to prevent death by PowerPoint. We really, we really can't let this continue. I was going to say, it sounds like if you add up all the presentations together, this is a real drain in our society. Yeah, <laughs> it is. We've all been there, right? I mean, you're sitting in the presentation, you look over and there's a guy in the third row watching his phone or, you know, half asleep. And then there's a girl in the, the fourth row checking, you know, checking Instagram. It's like, and then you look around and nobody's paying attention to the presentation because of the things you said, you know, text heavy, no visuals. I'd call those like well, we're probably going to get into some levels, but I call those surface levels. And then there's like more deeper things like, okay, well, you have a ton of facts, but are you engaging your audience? Are you inviting them to be involved either, you know, by by getting up and, and doing an activity? That's one way to do it. Or even by in their head saying yes to questions or no to questions or self-sorting in their mind while they're giving the presentation. Those are like um, higher level effectiveness. 
And so I signed up for the free course in the center for Stellar Slides because, again, the branding is too good. I couldn't say no to it. Uh, as I was going through, one of the first things I kind of noticed was this slide-based communication framework, which I think covers some of these things, probably more elegantly than I just described it. But I, I started looking through that, and then I was like, oh, well, this is the thing I kind of want to get out in this episode is walking through this framework, getting an idea of what's there so that people can start to think more in these, let's say, deeper terms. Well, that's that's not a great descriptive word for presentations, but... No, it works, actually. Yeah, it is It is those deeper things. Yeah. Can you walk us through this? What is the slide-based communication framework and what are the, the different elements of it? Yeah. So, so the slide-based communication framework came when I was creating Blast Off to Stellar Slides. Um, actually, I think it came even before that, when I was testing out my ideas in conference workshops. And I just... You know, because I had been figuring things out on my own for over a decade. Like I've been trying to make good presentations for like 10 years and I was finally ready to train others. And I had to come up with a way to explain how to approach this because a big problem I noticed was that people focus on the surface level things. Just like you said, that was a perfect word for this. They focus on, okay, Echo, I want to make better presentations. What template should I use? And I'm like, no, (laughs) you know, they'll be like, okay, Echo, can you give me some quick tips and tricks and hacks? And so I could do some good slide design and I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like, no, that's, that's surface level. We need to start with the deeper level. So I created this framework as a way to try to communicate that idea to people. And it's a pyramid and there's layers. And the first layer, the, the bottom of the pyramid is your content. It's your storyboard. It's, you know, how much information are you trying to cram into a presentation? You know, how have you organized it? Is it actually easy to follow? Do you even know your own key points? Because a lot of presenters don't. They just start by typing information on their slides without taking that step back and storyboarding their presentation. Okay, so that's the foundation. Because as I say, over and over again, no amount of slide design can make up for bad content. So that's first. Once you have a good content or storyboard, then you can look to basic things and make sure you've decluttered your slides and only things that actually need to be there are there. And then you can worry about how to design your text, how to design graphics, whether it's photos or shapes or icons, right? Then it makes sense to you know, work on your data visualization because you have a good storyboard, your slides aren't full of clutter, you have good text and other graphics. Okay, so then you move into data visualization. And then there's animations at the top that just kind of connects everything together. And it's presented in this way to show that every single layer is important in a single presentation. Because that's another thing people do. They will only focus on data viz because data viz is a hot topic right now. Really cool graphs look really cool. But yet, if you ignore all those other layers, By the time you get to your beautiful graph, people are gone. They're not paying attention. They're confused. They're bored. They're overwhelmed. Your data isn't, you know, connecting with them. So you have to worry about every single layer at once. And that sounds scary at first, (laughs) but it really is a lot easier than you think. But it's just like helpful to have that visual there so that you always remember 
you know, to apply at least some aspect of each layer. Yeah, I love it. And I, while you were talking, I pulled up my uh, standard operating procedure for how to create a webinar because I was kind of mapping it in my head. So I do sort of the same thing where the very first step is just collecting stats, facts, stories, supporting information, just in a big Google sheet and then sort of moving it around into the outline. So that'd be like the storyboarding aspect of it. And then the middle steps for, you know, what you're mentioning around, you know, design of the slides and going infographics and data visualization. The reason I pulled up this SOP is because there's a, I wanted to see what I wrote here. I don't know about other people if they do this, but I used to always, when I create a new presentation, I create this title slide and I spend like an hour on the title slide messing around with it. <laughs> and then, and then I'd always change it at the end. I finished presentation and I'd completely do it again. I wrote in this SOP, the third step is to create the slide deck. And the first thing I say is don't muck around with the title slide. <laughs> That's the last thing to do. <laughs> yes. I, I I know other people who get stuck on the title slide too. I actually do it last. I, I treat it like my abstract. Like when I would write an abstract, I don't know about anybody else here, but I would do it last, like for a manuscript or an executive summary in the evaluation world. Like I didn't do that first. <laughs> I did that after the report was done. I do I do the same with my title slide. Yeah, I love that. And if the audience is interested, because I have the same thing, I put step five and then of creating the slide deck is to finalize the title slide. Step one is get the template together. Don't touch the title slide with exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> but people are interested in this SOP, we'll put it together uh, in the show notes at grabblier.com slash 67. Um, we'll put it as a, a cheat sheet in view and kind of get an idea of how I create these webinars, what structure I've used. And I think we've shared that before on the, the podcast. I encourage you also to go to, to Echo's website, which this this stuff's all on stellarslides.com and look at the, the infographics, kind of map that on as well. I want to dive into some of these elements. So first kind of question I have is, you know, do I, should I be using, and you maybe hate this question, I don't know, but should I be using this kind of fancy software like Prezi or, you know, what, what can we say death by PowerPoint? Does that mean we shouldn't be using PowerPoint? What should we kind of using for our presentations? So I actually have like, I don't know, it's like a 20 minute video on this because I do also have a YouTube channel. And so I'll def- I'll tell the answer. But if people are like, what? I do not believe her. Watch my video. The answer is use PowerPoint. PowerPoint is the best. The uh, Prezi, no, I don't recommend it. Some people use... That was cool for like six months back in 2015, <laughs> I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I'll, I say this in the video too, but I used Prezi for like two or three years. I loved Prezi. So I have like amends to make. Like I apologize to everybody because I was one of those early adopters. Like, believe it or not, Chris, they like actually came out in, I think, 2012 because that's when I was using it. And I was like, Prezi is the best. It's awesome. I didn't, I didn't make people dizzy, so I wasn't spinning around. So don't worry about that. But but yeah, I, I say this as someone who used it for years. Don't use Prezi. Don't just don't don't take the time. <laughs> oh, I just remember being in the corporate world, and it sort of hit like across the board all at once. That every if you were C level, if you were a CEO or COO or something, you one they never knew how to make their own presentation, so they get their their secretary or 
whoever to help. But they all just across the board, across all the companies, switched to Prezi at once. And it was dizzying <laughs> trying to follow what was going on. And then it was out of vogue in like yeah. six, nine months. And everybody's back to PowerPoint. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Luckily, I don't get too many people who are invested in switching to Prezi anymore because it is kind of people people know by now that it's it just makes people dizzy. But you know, there, there's new things like that all the time. I don't even remember all the names. Like Canva is one that promotes themselves as a, a place you can create presentations. Absolutely not. Um, do not use Canva for presentations, please, for the love of coffee. <laughs> it's just, I would say Prezi over Canva. And then, uh, you know, Go- uh, Google Slides is... It has some problems. I still recommend PowerPoint over Google Slides. I also used Apple Keynote for about 14 years. I was actually very anti-PowerPoint during that time. But now PowerPoint has surpassed Keynote. So I'll just kind of leave it at that. Because again, I like go through this. It's like a 20, 25-minute video. I go into detail about why I'm saying all of these things. But just trust me, PowerPoint is amazing. And it is absolutely the best. And Death by PowerPoint... I think we need to remember that slide applications are a tool. That's it. And Death by PowerPoint presentations are not caused by the tool... They're caused with the way we use the tool. No, that makes total sense. So, I want, okay, I want to dive. We talked about the, some of the technology, probably more than we even we even should have. <laughs> um, but I want to. Sorry. <laughs> no, well, I, I think I brought it on. I was reminiscing about uh, about my corporate days. <laughs> but I want to dive into some of these elements on this uh, framework. So, in terms of the content, and the storyboarding, the storytelling aspects, like if someone's just saying, "Okay, well, I don't really know how to do that." You know, what would you tell them? How, how do they get to figuring that part out for their presentations? Yeah. So um, I hope nobody is annoyed with my answer to this, but I will say, take my course. <laughs> because I literally go through how to do each of these layers in my course. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, again, a lot of people want like, like a quick tip, like a, a two sentence tip on how to improve things. But, you know, we kind of need to take a step back and it takes longer to explain what to do. So, yeah, I, I go through it all in the course. Okay. Um, I guess, can you lead us with like a starting point or something? Give give the audience something to be able to, to hang their hat on if they're listening to this episode? I would say you have to figure out what your key points are. Like, what do you want the audience to walk away with? Ask yourself that question because a lot of people don't. I also do have a, another video on workflow for presentation design, and that includes a couple couple ideas about like how to get started too. And it, it pretty much boils down to that. Like, what are your actual key points? Yeah, I love it. And I guess I'll, I'll come back to this SOP since I have it open now that I want to find this. Don't mess around with your title slide. The first step I have for sort of research is to write down exactly like you said, funny enough, step one, create a research outline. So write down who your audience is write down the outcome you want for them. Then I'd say add slip box information. So this is like where you start collecting your stories, your stats, your facts, your supporting information. It's just collecting that up. And I don't really try to put a structure to it till I have you know, till I've done the research phase. And then it's, the reason I like to use a Google Sheet for that is then you can kind of drag and drop and copy all the pieces in different orders. And I try to arrange it then in this kind of skeletal framework where you just have you know your your three to five top ideas, 
usually it's about five minutes to flesh out a, a top level idea. So if you're doing a 15 minute presentation, maybe you get three in. If you're doing half an hour, maybe you can get five in, but that's that's kind of jam packing it full and that adding some sub bullet points. So another thing I used to do a lot was I would always create a, for like a 30 minute time slot, I create a 45 minute presentation and then have to trim it back. <laughs> you don't do that plan up front. So you, you, you know, you only have enough ideas or enough topics to fill that. And I feel like I must've done a podcast episode on this. Actually, I'll look that up at some point, but I do want to jump into some of these other elements. then. so, so you have things around the content generation, just putting your your skeleton together, putting your your presentation flow together. What do we what should we think about on these higher level aspects of the framework? So things like infographic, information and graphic design, data visualization, animations, you know, how can those be used to to dive into I guess away from the surface level and more of the, the deeper things that you, you were talking about earlier in the, the interview? So that depends a little bit on things like how much time do you have, what your presentation currently looks like, you know, things like that. So the way I teach is sort of options. Like you learn the framework, you learn options, you learn sort of like level one design. Okay, if you if you don't have a lot of time, if your slides are you know, crammed with text and focus on reducing the amount of text on your slides and, you know, just, just start there, <laughs> like just start getting text off your slides. So that's, and everybody struggles with that. So everybody listening to this podcast, I can assure you, you have too many words on a single slide. So that is your step one is start getting that text off your slides. And then, you know, and then from there, it's about building, adding shapes and icons and photos if you're doing data visualizations, you should never, ever stop with the default settings. You have to customize those. You have to use design and you know maybe even some animations to walk people through your data. So a lot of people will just have a graph on their slide and then they spend five minutes just like talking about it and nothing is changing, nothing is moving. You know, you have to walk people through it. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. It's it is really helpful to like highlight the key areas or even it can get frustrating. I don't know how, you, how you've seen with this. If if people only like if you have if you're going by thing one thing at a time on each slide and not letting people ever get ahead of you. But I find it's also helpful if you really want to emphasize something then to walk people through. So it's almost sometimes they use a a, a process where if I really want to emphasize something, I'll force people to stay with me through the material but then other parts of the presentation will be more free flowing where actually tell you know show the whole slide say and then walk people through it but if you really want to emphasize a point then you kind of hold people back and only show i'm trying not to say show bullet points because i know you don't want to use bullet points but i'm going to say it anyway <laughs> but show the bullet points that are you know leading them through the, the story that uh, you're trying to tell at those points you're trying to emphasize i want to i want to dig in a couple other aspects around this so we have things around, you know, storyboarding, coming up with our content ideas. We have things around data visualization, the the framing, the discussion points. What are some things for engagement with your audience? We sort of talked about that, you know, earlier. We had surface level things and then more deep deeper things. And I think really that is the hidden key. If you wanna if you wanna really wanna up your game, then getting buy-in from the audience, getting them saying in their heads, yes, that's me or no, that's not me or, you know, or actually getting them to, I, I don't really do the thing where I get people to go up and you know stand up and switch chairs and stuff. I find that a little bit hokey. You should be able to 
do it a little more elegantly, but if you can get people to kind of buy into your presentation to get more engaged, do you have any thoughts on how people should be structuring that if they're just kind of getting used to this way of presenting? So I would say when you create your presentation and you have your first draft, do an audit (laughs) for um, engagement. And you should be engaging with your audience at least every three to seven minutes. That's, That's usually what I strive for. So you, you have to just do something with them. So it could be you just ask a question. You don't even wait for them to answer. You just are wanting them to answer in their heads. And I think that was an example you had too. So that's like, you can do that a lot because you're not actually stopping the presentation. But um, you know I do that by saying things like, I don't know about anybody else, but blah, 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 blah. This is my experience. What about you? You know, and I just kind of, like that's one example, or even just using action words. So sometimes I will say, think about the last time you did so-and-so, right? And by telling them those words, think about, they will. They'll start, they will start thinking about it. So it engages their brain. So you can do simple things like that. You can do polling, just a simple raise, you know, raise your hand if. You can ask multiple choice questions for polls. You can, you know, do open-ended questions. And those work really well for, you know, webinars and in-person presentations. And then just actual activities. You know, maybe you create a handout and they have to fill out a sheet. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, the thing is, is that I'm guessing everybody in this podcast has, has done these things. And so these probably aren't the most like exciting or shocking (laughs) things. But yes, there are definitely more elaborate activities that you can do. But you know, sometimes the simple ones are, they're just the most practical, they're sustainable, they're easy, and they're quick. And they work really well. So go back to the ones you've done before. You know, the simple and practical ones really do work. And if you feel like they haven't been working, then just go and do that audit and see how often you're doing it. Because if you do one, and then you wait 30 minutes to do the other one, you might have lost people by then. And that's why it feels like it's not working. So maybe just add in more frequency to it. Do it more often. And then maybe switch it up. Do a poll. Do an open-ended question. Then do just multiple choice. You know, So if you kind of add variety, do it more often, you might start seeing the results that you've been wanting. Yeah, I love that. And I like that idea of doing an engagement audit. It's sort of once you're done your deck, and on your idea of how you're going to present, you know, just look through and say, well, at what points if I was listening to this, would I be engaging, interacting? And you mentioned a couple of key ways, like asking questions. Have you ever had this problem? Or, you know, you can ask like really simple questions like, did you have a hard time getting to the venue this morning? If there's some complicated thing that, you know, some complicated route you had to take from the, the hotel to get to the venue. or And then you can do more, you know, active things like polling and getting people involved. Um, if you're ever presenting to more than, 50 people, say if you're presenting 100 people, you can always ask, does somebody have a birthday this week if you want to lighten things up? It's a very small chance if you're presenting to 100 to 200 people that somebody doesn't have a birthday that week. Um, it's only 50 weeks in the year. Um, that's kind of a nice way to break the ice. But you want to you want to do that at a at an event where you don't have a lot of other people doing similar things. Otherwise, if you ever at an event, you're the second person to ask if somebody's had a birthday this week, then you're really lame. <laughs> but if you're the only person, they can, oh, it can no, work out pretty good. <laughs> Okay, we talked about this whole process of kind of prepping, getting ready. I think to sort of close out and round off this interview, what's the process you recommend for people for like practicing for the presentation or getting ready to deliver 
you know, and, and engage with people at the event. Yeah. So that's actually a whole video I have too. <laughs> so I'll definitely send you these links. Um, I have a four step or four, four type practice. So the first type is when you're actually working on your slides, while you're typing out your notes, you should be speaking them. And that is the easiest way to incorporate practice into your presentation. Because the reason presentations sound awkward or people sound like robots is because it's the first or second time they've actually said the words out loud. So how many of you listening to this podcast have quote unquote practiced your presentation by reading it in your head? <laughs> right? Like I've done it. I know a lot of people who do it. I was just going to say, you just use that ask a question that everybody says yes to in their head thing. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you went, yes, that's me, then that's exactly what we're talking about, about engagement, uh, engaging communication. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. See, I just like, I try to make that my habit. I didn't even know I was doing that. But, you know, I'm always thinking of the audience. Like that's kind of what it is. Like I'm just always thinking of them. So thinking of you. But yeah, so if you're just reading it in your head, that is not practice. I'm sorry to break the bad news to you, but that does not count as practice. You have to say the words out loud. That's when you catch sentences that sound like they were meant to just be left in a manuscript. Okay. So while you're typing your script, talk out loud and it could be a whisper. I whisper. And it's really weird at first. Yes, I promise you, you're going to feel super awkward, but you'll get used to it. And it is the best and easiest way to have a good script from the start. That's less editing in the future. Your script already sounds more like verbal speech rather than something meant for a manuscript. So you do that. And then um, the second type is you start practicing in chunks. So I'll just actually go into presenter view and I'll click through my slides and I might do that for just a few slides just to make sure, you know, the timing works, the animations work, like everything is all working together. I have a second monitor, which helps me do this. So you just kind of do it in like chunks, basically. And then, and I have a worksheet that I use for this part, which I have made available for free. You can download it. Information is with the video that describes all of this and I have visuals to show you what I'm talking about. <laughs> but then you get a worksheet and you actually time yourself section by section. And then after you do that and you feel really good about it, then you can do the full dress rehearsal. And the reason why I go through all of this, and again, I even made a video about this, is because a lot of people only do the full dress rehearsal. And I don't recommend that. I recommend doing those first three making those your habit. And sometimes you don't even need to do a full dress rehearsal because of the other ways of practicing. So again, if you're like, blah, that made no sense, Echo, I promise, like with the visuals and the video and, and the handout, it kind of makes more sense and it, and it fits together. But I encourage you to give that a try and at least, you know, hear me out and like see how I do that because it's a way to practice without it feeling like it takes a lot of time. It's just like part of your presentation design process. So it's more built in and you're like, oh, I practiced. Cool. I love it. You know, just going through the process, speaking aloud while you're writing the slide notes, while you're doing it, at least, like you said, at least then you're saying it aloud at least once. You probably should be doing it more than that. But then it sounds like a normal person said it, not some sort of robot. <laughs> or, you know, hopefully you can check for that. 
doing it in chunks and, and measuring the chunks, that's really helpful if you get to the end and you're like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm five minutes over. What am I going to do? You know what the most, the nicest feeling thing is ever? Like just deleting a whole chunk of your presentation. It's kind of nerve wracking because you're like, oh, that has to be there. But once you realize that, oh yeah, it doesn't actually have to be there. <laughs> I control this. And you just like delete it, then you feel great. And then by, you know, by the time you're actually doing your full dress rehearsal, then you, you're at a stage where you already know your content and you're, you're on your way to delivering a great presentation. Mm-hmm. Okay, really cool. So if the audience is interested in learning more about you, like I mentioned, I would check out Echo's site just for the branding elements. It's, it's pretty engaging. It makes me say yes in my head a lot, which is why I clicked through um, a number of times. And I had reached out to her for the podcast before that anyway. But uh, if you want to check that out, it's at echorivera.com. That's E-C-H-O-R-I-V-E-R-A.com. And Echo, if somebody wants to reach out to you and learn more about presenting, learn more about your courses or the free content that you mentioned, one, we're going to get some of the videos and that we'll get Echo to send through and we'll put those in the show notes at grabblogger.com slash 67. But if somebody wants to reach out to you to find out more about what you're doing, where's the, the best place they can find you at? I'm very active on Twitter. So that is a very easy and informal way to connect with me. I'm at Echo Echo R on Twitter. You can also find me on LinkedIn, which is Echo Rivera, PhD, I think. You know, search my name, you'll find me. There's not a lot of Echo Riveras out there. <laughs> There's not. <laughs> so I should show up. <laughs> so those are, you know, in terms of using social media to reach out to me, those are the best and fastest. Please do not contact me on my Facebook page. I never check that. So um, same for Insta. And then on my website, there is a contact form you can use and that goes to my inbox. It does not go to spam. So that works as well. So between those, you can you can totally find me. And yeah, I think those are the best. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. Appreciate getting a chance to catch up with you. I know it had been a, a little while since we last talked, uh, but uh, I decided to, to get a chance to talk with you again. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and hopefully get you back on the podcast in the future as well. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Echo. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Echo Rivera from echorivera.com. And we'll be talking about how to avoid death by PowerPoint in your webinar and in-person presentations. We went through some of Echo's backstory, um, how she got started online with a really what was a side hustle back in 2016. Um, built that into a you know a full-time online business a couple of years later with courses and services that she's been delivering. We talked about that whole process a bit and where her business is at today. And we talked about challenges, things around anxiety of going full-time in terms of financial requirements, but also in terms of just putting yourself out there. We talked about content creation. She gave some really good tips around Pretend you're a MythBuster and and you know identify the myths that your audience has. Get those insights about your audience and and then address those. And that's going to make for really engaging content that people will reply back to, looking for more answers from you and kind of put you as the authority in that space, which is really what she's done for for presenting. Uh, then we got into this whole concept of death by PowerPoint. We gave it sort of a definition. Everyone knows the feeling, I'm sure of what this is, but it helps to kind of go through and see what some of those elements are. And we talked about different levels, surface level difficulties, like too much text, just reading through the slides, and then more detailed things like make sure you have some engagement points in there, making sure you're having the audience answer some questions in their head. And then we gave some you know different ways you can do that. We talked through her slide-based communication framework, the different elements there, and that sort of helps you get deeper into planning and understanding your, your presentation. 
and we talked through things around uh, practicing as well. So we had a four-step framework for practicing your presentation, giving ready to deliver it. And we also talked about things like tools. And, and apparently PowerPoint has it all, which is good to know, because I know that's what a lot of people are using for their presentations these days as well. So I encourage you, if you're interested in any of this material, you can definitely check out Echo. We'll have links to her websites um, at grabblar.com slash 67. I found the previous episode that I did on creating a webinar presentation. That's episode 43 of the podcast. And it's how to create a, a webinar presentation. We'll actually pull the cheat sheet there that has my my SOP, my standard operating procedure for creating a webinar. Include that as a, a cheat sheet that you can download for this episode as well. We'll have all of Echo's contact information, links to those videos and stuff that we're able to, to capture and send through there as well. So have a, a safe week ahead. If you really enjoyed this episode, tag myself at GrabBlogger on Instagram or Twitter. Um, and tag Echo, and I believe her handle is Echo, Echo R. And I think that's probably a play on the word Echo, if I had to guess, but I'll have to ask her next time we're chatting. And yeah, so let us know how it goes. Ask us any questions there. And I look forward to bringing you more great guests and helping you build your online business as an academic in this world and, and making the change that you want to see.